Finger guns primed, ready to go. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. There have been a slew of articles recently suggesting the U.S. dollar is quickly losing its status as world reserve currency. How likely is this and how will it affect you? Also, is it just a coincidence that this development is occurring at the same time as plans to issue a digital dollar start ramping up? How quickly are we approaching a world where you don't even own the money that you use on a daily basis? We're going to be talking about all this and more in episode 395 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. We got a full crew today. Joining me, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I lost a bet to Chris Talgo, also on this podcast. I can't even remember, Chris, what the bet was over, but I do owe you lunch. So after this podcast is over, we are going out to lunch. Donnie, see, this is what you don't get free lunch from Jim because, uh, you know, you, you do this from home. So. Too bad I thought you. there's no such thing as a free lunch, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, for you today, for you, there is. A <laughs> oh, all right. Also joining us, I'm curious about that the 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 bet stakes there, but uh, maybe maybe during the podcast. It was, it was uh, it, it, real quick. It was uh, fantasy football. We were in the playoffs, and it was uh, I think first or second round. And unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for me, unfortunately for Jim, uh, my team, uh, you know. Oh, great. Are we talking? So you're finally paying about... up for like five months later. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, wait yeah. a minute, Donnie. We don't know that. Are we talking about American football or European football? This is the XFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the XFL. You watch the American Football League. We got yeah, Justin okay. Haskins, director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. It's really nice of you. The S on his hat stands for stupendous. Also, Chris Talgo, editorial director at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? Doing good, but I do just want to really a teeny bit of sad news. Uh, Jerry Springer, a person who, when I was, let's say, probably like in fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, whenever I'd stay <laughs> home from school, we'd watch Jerry Springer, and unfortunately, um, he died today. So, oh, just... I was afraid you were going to end the sentence with that. Oh, yeah. that's a shame. See, I liked him back in his political days before he got uh, mayor of Cincinnati. That's right. Cincinnati. That's right. That's right. Uh, before Donna, it's going... Donald's favorite mayor of Cincinnati, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Donald, can you tell me what else in, in terms of Cincinnati politics? I mean, you're such an expert, so uh, I'll get I will say that in the, the podcast. <laughs> uh, audio only listeners, I want to uh, you know, say that you can join us a day earlier. You're probably listening to us on a Friday. You can join us live on Thursdays at noon central time, where you can catch the show streaming live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the feed. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Also, we do have that super chat function if you want to help out the show financially a little bit. Uh, we, you can pretty much guarantee that we will read your question or comment if you use that super chat function. And also, you can help out the show in a non-monetary way by hitting the like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under this video. It all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. 
So we do have a lot to get to in this episode, and uh, to to save Justin's feet, uh, I'm going to try to move through some of this quicker than last time, because I think last episode we went an hour and 20 minutes, so we try to keep it to that hour mark, but we'll see. Um, but one thing that I do want to mention before we get into our main topics at hand is to briefly talk about the news that broke on Monday. Very famous host of a very famous news show ended their run after more than 15 years. People were shocked, wondering where he's going to go next. And obviously, I'm talking about Don Lemon. So, Chris, how are you with, uh, with the loss of Don Lemon? I was a little shocked to see uh, Don Lemon was let go by CNN. Uh, but you know what? I think that this has been in the making because uh, Don Lemon used to have, I think it was the 8 p.m. Uh, primetime show. And then after uh, the ratings, you know, tanked uh, for that, he was put on the morning show with, uh, oh, geez, I can't remember the name of the two uh, female uh, co-hosts, who he uh, basically uh, just treated treated terribly. And uh, he had, you know, some other really, really uh, uh, terrible comments about Nikki Haley being past her prime. So I think that <laughs> yeah. this was this this was inevitable. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised that you had a thorough answer for that, because clearly I was joking. No one cares about Don <laughs> Oh, Lemon. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> well, what's funny about it is that you call him Don Lamont. The only reason people call him that is because Tucker Carlson started calling him that. Right. So that oh, followed yes. him everywhere. Exactly. Don Lamont. All right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, obviously, uh, I, I tease that uh, this is, you know, Tucker Carlson on the same day. Uh, was announced that he is no longer with Fox News, effective immediately. In fact, it was announced on Monday, and it was that his previous Friday show was his last show. So it wasn't even that there was some two-week notice. He was going to have some send-off episode. Just nope, over the weekend, done. It's over. No more. Uh, no more Tucker Carlson. So, you know, there's some loser people on the left that were trying to make comparisons of Don Lamont and Tucker Carlson saying, oh, you don't see people on the left losing their minds over uh, Lemon like you see people losing it about Tucker Carlson. To which my response is, A, I haven't seen anyone really losing their minds over Tucker Carlson. And B, no one ever cared about Don Lamont. Uh, uh, nobody actually watches him. Conversely, Tucker Carlson has by far the most viewed cable news show out there. So the fact that he was just all of a sudden just gone, it was shocking. So, yeah, you're, you're going to blame people for being shocked. I was shocked. I don't even watch them. So, it's you know, like, I think it's worth talking about just for that. So it's more of that. It was just a shock. In Don Lamont's case, uh, it was a shock that he was even still employed by CNN at this in, at this point. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Fox news parting ways without him, without any warning height of his popularity, Jim thoughts on this. Well, my thoughts on this, I mean, it's, I mean, I haven't had, uh, I haven't had cable in a couple of years and, and on this podcast, we do count on Chris Talgo to watch cable news for us to let us That's know right. what's going on. Uh, it's so I've this whole organization actually, Jim, not just the podcast <laughs> pretty much. You know, so I only saw Tucker on, you know, on YouTube or Rumble and, you know, I would see a clip on on Twitter or something like that. But often I would actually I subscribe to the Fox News uh, YouTube channel to, you know, as the promo would go at the end of each one of them, you know, to watch our nightly opens. You know, Tucker's it was said by somebody on on uh, something else I, I watched, but they said that Tucker would make news on his new show that Tucker's uh, opening monologues, unlike kind of the silly. Uh, talking points memo, stupid stuff that Bill O'Reilly did. He was never my, uh, he was never my cup of tea. But uh, he was super successful. And when they when they bumped him out for, 
uh, well, for reasons, uh, they thought, oh, Fox is in big trouble. And then Tucker comes in, takes over the eight o'clock hour and is even is vastly more successful than uh, Bill O'Reilly ever was. But, you know, the only thing worth watching, in my opinion, on, on Fox News ever since the 2020 election was Tucker Carlson's nightly opens or maybe once in a while, uh, one of his interviews or something else uh, farther along in the program. But, you know, Tucker Carlson was the uh, flagship of that app they were trying to get going that uh, Fox Nation, you know, he mm. was the biggest star on that. He was the he was the the main focus of getting people to subscribe. So now that's going to go in the toilet. I don't think it's going to go CNN plus uh, overnight, but it's uh, it's in big trouble. And in fact, uh, I was just about to share this with Andy, uh, his ratings, the ratings for the eight o'clock hour on Monday um, were decent because people wanted to see what was what Fox News might say about Tucker Tucker being fired on the first day of his show after that um, yeah. on Tuesday night's ratings actually and I'll share it with Andy here in a second Fox News for the first time in maybe 20 years got beat in the eight o'clock hour by both CNN and MSNBC no and kidding. those wow. and those show in the in the demographic they care about which is you know young <laughs> people 24 to or 25 to 54 so let that be uh, known, Donnie. I am still young. I'm still in the in the coveted demographic because I'm not yet 50, past the <laughs> by, age of by, 54. By, by Fox News standards, let's by, just put by, that asterisk there. <laughs> well, by 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 media advertising standards, okay. I'm still young. So I I think that's awesome. But yeah, he got beat. Uh, Fox got beat. Um, that that's that was unthinkable. And and MSNBC and CNN have been trying their best. Even combined, they wouldn't even get the ratings that Tucker Carlson got. And so uh, you know, th this is this is bad bad for fox news they think they think that fox news is the brand they're wrong tucker right. carlson was the most important person on on the top rated network and he is not replaceable and he's going to find a landing place of his own after all the legal stuff gets sorted out uh, hopefully he'll be able to do something on the air uh, before the 2024 elections so uh you know fox i think is in big trouble people are already unplugging from cable people don't really care as much about cable news anymore this is a watershed moment in media yeah, I mean, we could we can question what uh, uh, T Tucker Carlson's next step is going to be. Is he going to go to the independent route? Is he going to join Newsmax or the Blaze or something like that? Um, I don't know. I don't think anyone here has any insight into that. But Chris, I am curious about what you think this means for Fox News, um, considering that they are kind of the uh, legacy media version for the right that you know everything else is, um, and and. You know, they, they took a hit after the 2020 elections and all of that with their kind of their core base. This, I think, is just going to be even worse for it, especially if the stats that Jim is saying is, is accurate. Um, Fox Nation, as as Jim mentioned, you know, had Tucker Carlson was like kind of leading the way when it came to those like documentaries and all of that. I've heard stories, anecdotal, that people are canceling their Fox Nation uh, subscriptions and all of that. So what do you think that this means for for Fox in general, Chris? Gee, I think that Fox has to uh, a big decision to make. Do they want to pivot more to the center and try to uh, become a more establishment uh, network, or do they want to, uh, you know, ride this populist wave that Tucker, you know, really, uh, you know, hit upon? And I think, um, you know, I do watch, you know, Fox, you know, quite a bit, and uh, I, I think on on many issues, whether it was Ukraine whether it was COVID or whether it was January uh, 6 uh, stuff, you know, Tucker, he definitely, uh, you know, took his own stance. And I think that, you know, that definitely 
uh, worried some of the executives. And uh, apparently there was, you know, some animosity between him and some of the executives. So I don't know how much of this is personal. I don't know how much of this is uh, related to the Dominion lawsuit. And there's a Smartmatic, uh, like $2.7 billion lawsuit, you know, in the offing. So I don't know if this is related to that. But I think that Fox News has a big decision to make. Are they going to, uh, you know, to embrace what, you know, what what Tucker stood for, which is truth, which is, um, you know, Instead of just towing the line, you know, Tucker, he was not afraid to ask the the difficult questions and he was not afraid to, you know, go into some of these really controversial topics and just, you know, full bore, just explore them. And that's why I liked his program. I know ne- I've never really been a fan of some of the more like mainstream Fox News hosts like Sean Hannity, um, you know, some of the others, because I feel like they're just kind of like, you know, just saying like the the standard conservative, you know, line. What, what I found so interesting about Tucker Carlson is sometimes he would say stuff that I totally disagreed with. But then afterwards, I'd think, you know, wow, that's really interesting. Like he, you know, made me think of this in a new way. So yeah. that's what I'm going to miss. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, Tucker Carlson did kind of break radio silence the other day on Twitter. We have the clip. It's like two and a half minutes long. I don't want to bog down the podcast. But in it, he was almost he was critical of just kind of the the nature of the machine when it comes to the establishment media, whether it's the left or just Fox News. And he almost seemed like a little self-critical. And he was talking about these uh, these debates that would be had that would only be over like a segment that would be really short and they weren't really substantial and they'd be forgotten in a couple of years. You would never remember some of the debates that happened on these on these news channels and all of that. And what he wants is a place for real debates over topics that really matter and all of that. Well, he and, had that. He had that. He had uh, two things on Fox Nation. He had the Tucker Carlson originals, like Jim was talking about. And those were really great documentaries. They were really well done, really well produced, and on very interesting topics. But he also had what was called Tucker Carlson Today, and it was an hour uh, long form interview show with mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people that, you know, whether it be Russell Brand or Kirstie Alley, I mean, it was just it, the full gambit. That's what I think attracted him to so many people because yeah. he was not like a Sean Hannity where it's just like, I stick with, you know, this this stance and I only talk to these people. Tucker Carlson was a maverick in some sorts. And it's kind of yeah. sad that he's out now because now I feel that uh, Fox News is probably just going to become more and more uh, establishment you know, Jeb Bushy and <laughs> less. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think- Please clap. Be, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't disagree. And I do think that that Fox Nation opened up a new avenues for him because that's what new media does. You know, I, I've on this podcast, I've praised uh, what Joe Rogan did with podcasting and have these long form conversations where you could actually get into the meat of topics. And Justin, I'm curious about your uh, uh, take on this before we move on to our main topics at hand, because you've been on Tucker Carlson a number of times. And even with topics that you bring to the table, which are very important, you know, you get what? two and a half minutes, three minutes to talk about it, you know, and then they move on to some commercial break or another, uh, another host. So thoughts on any of this that we've talked about so far. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that, I think that the biggest question going forward really from a sort of a conservative movement perspective is going to be, how does the conservative movement communicate with people where do the where do people within the conservative movement moving forward where do they go to get information will this be a turning point in that or will tucker carlson's departure be just another you know sort of a bill o'reilly moment where 
you know, yeah, he had a loyal following. He left, but you know, the Fox news, uh, train keeps rolling forward. I mean, Fox, Fox has been for a very long time, uh, the juggernaut in conservative news. We know that, but it has been, um, sort of the meeting place, uh, unofficial meeting place for conservatives nationally in a lot of ways, because where else over the past, say 20 to 30 years have conservatives all had one thing in common. I mean, we, we, there were really big talk radio stars like Rush Limbaugh, you know, and you have Glenn Beck and you've got Sean Hannity and you've got some Dennis Prager and all these people, right. You are big, but for the most part, you know, you get people who listen to Dennis Prager every day or whatever, or they listen to Rush Limbaugh when he was uh, still alive. And, and that would be their thing, but not everybody did, but almost everybody watched Fox, at least for a long period of time. Almost every conservative, politically active conservative watched Fox, at least occasionally. And over time, that has started to go away. That started to erode. There's been all these new networks, streaming platforms, um, you know, Glenn Beck was a huge part of that with the blaze of the first ones to really do something like that. And now you have all you have daily wire, you have a whole bunch of other places that are like that. And it's, and, and YouTube has changed things dramatically as well. Um, you know, you get people who have popular YouTube channels and YouTube show podcasts, Joe Rogan, like all these people who are outside of that world now having a big influence on, on the, uh, the, the, uh, the media in general, but conservative media in particular, you see that. So the question is, what happens now? I mean, do you start to see Fox fall away from being that place where everybody goes? Um, and because a lot of people already have left. But the, but the, but I mean, is it now just a matter of time before it just really is basically like CNN or, or MSNBC? Um, it'll never be quite as bad as that because those places are dumpster fires. But it might be. You know, but but will it ever be what it was, say five years ago, ten years ago, or even today? Or is it is this the turning point where the really politically active conservatives in the movement say, "I'm done. Right. We're we're right. gonna we're gonna find some other way to do to do this, but we're not gonna do it at Fox." And as a person who has had a lot of experience at Fox, um, it makes me, you know, sad. You know, I, 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 Fox, Fox has been very, very good to me over the years. Um, and Tucker Carlson in particular, uh, very, very good to me. I did the show, uh, many, many times, probably close to, you know, 20 times or something like that in just a couple of years. And so I was on the show a lot. I've done Fox and I've done all the shows and, um, and, and, you know, Tucker put me on the air when very when I was still very early on in my TV days, I mean, probably with, I probably only had a handful of TV uh, appearances when Tucker put me on the air the first time. And, and they kept putting me on despite the fact that I really didn't have a lot of experience and they just kept rolling with it. And they were very willing to take ideas that I had and run with that for segments and talk about things that other people were not willing to talk about. And then just a real, I know we're going on and on and on, but, you know, this, and this isn't something I've really talked about at, at all for the most part. Um, but there was a, a period of time where I had a pretty serious health problem in my family and, um, it made it extremely difficult for me to go to TV studios. I could do stuff from home, but 
going out was very hard to do. And uh, I remember uh, because Tucker's the way that he does his show, basically everybody or the vast majority of people are expected to go to a studio. So you'd have to go travel to a studio and you have to leave like, you know, an hour and a half or two hours before you're on and you got to wait there. And so it's like, it's a long period. It's like a three hour thing, three or four hours uh, just to go on the air for two and a half minutes or whatever. So I remember talking to his producers about it one night and I just said, look, I, I just don't know that I can that I can, you know, do that. This is health problem and I'm really sorry about it, but I just, because really being on that show, being in prime time, I mean, that was, that was like my dream. And, uh, and his, his producing, not just one, but multiple of his producers, uh, they were, they were so kind to me and they were so generous about that. And they, they went out of their way to say that, you know, Tucker and the whole team, whenever you're ready to come back, we will have you back on right away. And then every couple of weeks, they would check in on me. They would check in on, on my family, asking if we were okay, making sure everything was good. No pressure if you ever want to come back on the show. I mean, stuff that does not happen mm-hmm. in TV news because... TV news is ruthless and, and they just use and abuse people all the time. And I mean, and so it's hard, it's really hard for me to see this happen because I really do believe that he was, that he's a good guy and that the people who worked for him were good people. And, um, and so it, it's, it's awful in that sense. And then on the other hand, I know people who are still at Fox who are amazing people. And, and so it's, it's, it's really tough. You know, you know, it, it's, it a, it's a it's a it's a heartfelt story you got there, Justin. And just keep in mind that uh, when we go long on this episode, it's that it's that uh, <laughs> it's that story's fault. So. Daddy, Daddy, I'm sure there's I... something we can cut out. I'm sure there's something else we can cut out. No, this 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 is live, buddy. Buddy, here we go. <laughs> so keep standing, keep standing up, Justin. No, but stories about like that about stories like that about Tucker are legion. And if you have not seen his speech that he gave for the Heritage Foundation's 50th anniversary uh, benefit dinner, you should check it out. It's not hard to find on YouTube. It is fantastic. And, uh, you know, there's rumors that, you know, I've done a lot of reading on this, but there's rumors that what he said in that speech, he kind of ripped on media as not being very healthy for democracy and all that stuff. But he talked about religion and he talked about how there's an evil right now um you know pushing against good and that you know there's one rumor that that kind of freaked out rupert murdoch he didn't like that and uh that was part of what uh, got tucker pushed out but you know tucker is a good dude so one one real question because i know we want to move on but i do want i mean i am genuinely interested i'm in i'm not just in your opinions uh but also in just what the audience thinks too for for this show um you know do you think that you know that that Fox News will is this the beginning of of the end for for Fox um it being an influential force within the conservative movement are you know the really powerful people like like uh when I was talking to Donnie about this um just before the before the show started uh, I brought up Ben Shapiro right like the Ben Shapiros of the world the the Glenn Becks of the world these people still go on Fox they up until very recently I mean they would go on Tucker they would go on these other shows right are they still going to do that are are is this still going to be the most important meeting place for conservative minds or or is this the beginning of the end of that because a lot of people will say look he was one of our own and we don't think you treated him well and that's it for us. We're done. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm genuinely interested in in knowing what you guys think of that. Yeah, I don't know. I think that this is definitely the one of those pivot points, and we'll look back at this uh, this period of time as like, oh yeah, that's when they started circling the drain, or oh yeah, that's when they pivoted towards something different, or hey, you know, it was a, a new rebirth or something, and they went on to do bigger and better things. Well, interest, but it, who knows? But this just, will be that pivot point. Interestingly, they also uh, fired Dan Bongino uh, this weekend, so it it seems to me like they're kind of trying to get rid of some of the more outspoken populist minded people that you know that that talked about things that were kind of taboo and i that that worries me because those were the two of the uh the people that i respected most and 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 i enjoyed their shows because they did go outside the box a lot um i still like mark levin he's on on sunday nights that is a long-form show he gets into some really interesting stuff but i i do agree that it, it seems to me, because I am an avid Fox viewer, that they're kind of shifting more towards like entertainment, you know, info, entertainment, culture, pop culture, all that stuff. And they are uh, less about like substantive issues. And that's why I, I did. That's why Tucker's video resonated so much with me, because what he's saying is, why are we not talking about big stuff? Whether it's Ukraine or, you know, Joe Biden or Hunter Biden. But we're, we're sitting here obsessing over these tiny little insignificant things. And I think speaking of insignificant things and outspoken people, uh, we do have one one clip that I want to tee up for for Jim's comments here. Uh, this is AOC talking about uh, good old Tucker Carlson. Go ahead and play this clip. Jim, in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence very clearly incitement of violence. And that is the line that I think we have to uh, be willing to contend with. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Deplatforming works and it is important. And um, there you go. Good things can happen. Yeah, I'm sorry I'd put you all through that. I, I Listening to her is just nails on a chalkboard. But it was Jim's fault. So Jim comments, and then we're moving on. Uh, it's just you know the the left is gloating that Tucker Carlson lost his show on Fox, and uh, uh, because they've been trying to get him off Fox News for a long time I mean, with saying absurd. And actually, the real dangerous thing is to say that you know what Car Tucker Carlson's his reporting on say January sixth is is an incitement to violence. The things that he says about the culture are incit incitements to violence. The left is always doing this. Your words are violence. Their violence is speech. That's that's the mantra they go by. But uh, you know when I saw so the first clip was actually the day before uh, Tucker Carlson got fired, and then the second clip that she did from her car uh, for Instagram was the day. He was fired, and you could, you know, the the smug, the smugness, that grin on her face. Uh, guess what, AOC? He's not actually deplatformed. If Joe Rogan is worth a one hundred million dollar contract to Spotify, what do you think Tucker Carlson's going to get from someplace like Spotify or the Daily Wire or Glenn Beck? I know Glenn Beck, uh, Justin, was joking uh, on his show that very morning that it's like, you know, uh, and he actually admitted that like they were already kind of working up a way to try to get Tucker over to the blaze even before all this happened, because Glenn kind of saw 
trouble and thought maybe Tucker will be available sometime. So, so Tucker is not going to be deplatformed. He's going to make he's going to make Rumble a real destination. Perhaps he's going to have his own. He's going to have a podcast there. He'll have his own something. But it's going to make uh, Joe Rogan's contract, uh, you know, look like a you know a starter salary. Yeah, no doubt. It'll be very interesting to see where he goes. Uh, he'll make a, a big splash wherever he goes. Um, yeah, I know that Glenn Beck has mentioned multiple times on a show about the idea of, oh, yeah, I got a phone call with him later today, I think, hopefully. And then just the other day, he had a big four-piece Twitter thread about just kind of talking about how Tucker Carlson's great and how he and him could make a big splash or something like that on the blaze. So uh, we'll see. I guess we'll see. All right, we got to move on. We're already like a half hour into this podcast. Justin's feet are already starting to hurt, so we should get to our main topics. This was just supposed to be our opening chit-chat. So our very own Justin Haskins, speak of the devil, had a piece published on Fox News titled, Biden administration is quietly planning for a future where you don't own money. So Justin tells me that this article did really well, got lots of attention. We've covered the idea of the digital dollar or central bank-backed digital currencies a number of times on this podcast. So our constant listeners should already be aware of the potential concerns about a scheme like this. But for those that are turning tuning in irregularly or for those that need a refresher, Justin, care to give us an abridged rundown of the idea of a digital currency? Right. So a central bank uh, digital currency, uh, there's a bunch of proposals all across the world for this right now. Uh, It's really sweep one of these ideas that's sweeping the the West, uh, mainly because they've all destroyed their existing fiat paper-based currencies. And so they're trying to come up with ways to create a new currency. Well, the United States is one of those places that's looking at considering that. Uh, the, The Biden administration Um, released an executive order back in March of last year directing various departments in the government to study a central bank digital currency and issue reports about whether they should do it or not, what the cost benefits are of doing it, et cetera. The Federal Reserve has been studying this for for a while. They've had all kinds of pilot projects going on. The Hamilton project is one of the one of those things. Uh, got they got stuff at MIT and elsewhere. Um, so what is it exactly? A, a central bank digital currency is a new currency. It's not a digital version of the existing dollar. It's a new thing entirely. Uh, unlike the existing currency, though, there's no physical uh, corresponding physical uh, part to it. So a lot of the things that people do on a day-to-day basis today, they're not using physical cash anymore, but there's always a corresponding physical dollar that is supposed to be related to that. So you can always go to the bank and go get cash, right? Um, but a central bank digital currency wouldn't have that. It would only exist in digital form. And because it only exists in digital form, it has all kinds of really wonderful benefits from the perspective of authoritarian governments. Like it's programmable, it's traceable. They'll know everywhere that you're spend, everywhere you go, everywhere you spend money. Um, they'll be able to create it with a push of a button. They'll be able to tie all kinds of rules to it that determine what people can use money for or not. They can easily airdrop money essentially into people's bank accounts. Um, it has all kinds of really creepy uh, implications for what society might look like. Um, they already have this in, in, they've already started rolling stuff like this out in China and other parts of the world. And that's exactly how they're using it there. And in the various Biden administration reports, they talk about how a central bank digital currency needs to promote equity. 
It needs to promote financial inclusion. It needs to battle climate change and help improve the environment. Well, uh, it's going to fight organized crime, like help the government fight organized crime. All those things require a programmable, traceable, easily manipulated digital currency. If, if it's not programmable and they can't trace it and they can't track it and they can't control it, then it, it doesn't have the ability to do any of the things they're promising it will do. So that's how the digital dollar is, is shaping up. There isn't a formal proposal for it yet, but all the pieces are coming together. There's going to be a formal proposal for it now. They're just trying to figure out the details of it. So elaborate a little bit on the the part of the title that's, uh, you know, you won't own it. Because that, that seems kind of like a like a foreign concept to the idea of money. Like, it's in my pocket. Like, what are you talking about? But right. you very specifically mentioned that in the headline that you won't own it. So can you elaborate yeah, on that? One of the craziest things about a uh, about the concept of a central bank digital currency, and this is something that we're just now starting to realize, is that it, based on all of the documents we've seen from the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve, it seems to be that the way that they're planning on designing it, it would not just, you just wouldn't be able to own it. It wouldn't be possible for you to own a central bank digital dollar. And, and what I mean by that is this. Um, I think the easiest way to explain this is to think about how the existing banking system works. Most people don't realize this, but when you go to the bank right now, and you take cash or you deposit a check or whatever, and you give it to the bank. Um, the bank now owns that money. You actually no longer own the money anymore. So when you give dollars to the bank, it's their dollars. It's not your dollars. Now, they're legally required to give you your dollars back when you ask for it, but on demand. But through regulations and stuff, unless they go out of business, in which case they don't necessarily have to do that. Um, but it belongs to them. That's why they don't have to ask you permission to spend it on something, to go loan it out to somebody or something like that. They don't ask you permission before they do that because they own the money. See, so they know all of your transactions and all of this stuff because it's their money, actually. It's in their bank, so they own it. You're just having, you just have rights to use it. But you always have the ability to go to the bank and take the money out of the bank, put it in your pocket, and walk out the door. And now the cash is yours. You own that cash, okay? So you walking around, you own the cash. But with a central bank digital currency, there is no way for you to take it and stick it in your pocket and walk out the door. There is no cash equivalent. It always has to be in a bank account or either with a... a uh, with the Federal Reserve directly or with an intermediary, which is most likely an existing bank, public or private, okay? That's what all of these reports from the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve are showing. They're showing that they're planning on designing it in such a way that you won't be able to put it onto a hard drive or something like that and stick it in your pocket and possess it physically and own it physically yourself. You'll always have to have it deposited in someone else's account, which means that all of the money, the, the digital money, will be owned by someone other than regular people. And because they own it, you don't, all of these various constitutional rights and things that normally come with ownership and possession and privacy and all this other stuff probably is going to get thrown out the window because you can't claim, well, search and seizure or all these different constitutional rights and stuff if the money actually isn't your money, it's technically someone else's money. They actually own it and you're just able to use it through this account. That's why this is really so dangerous because when you don't own things, you lose a lot of rights associated with ownership. 
And if you don't own money, then that's a big, big problem because you need money to do basically everything. So all of your privacy rights, all of these controls, you just don't have the ability to do it. So when people think of programmable currencies and they're often thinking about um, you know, the government spying on them or tracking them or tracing them. It's almost as though they have a camera watching you spend your money on things or something. That's what I think people associate these ideas with. The truth is it's their money. You're just using their money. And that's the really scary part of it. If you don't own it, you don't really have rights. Mm -hmm. You don't really have true control of it. And that's what this article is focused on. And that's one of the things that we really want to highlight um, right. Yeah, yeah. No. It, so it's it. You know, we've had these conversations about digital currency, and we're not sure. Like, like Justin said, there's no formal proposal for the United States yet, so we're not sure exactly what it would look like. Uh, we're basically offering warnings of how it could look, even in worst case scenario type stuff. How it could look, and that the controls that could come along with it. Well, the, however, well these are, but these are the things that they're putting in their report. Sure. So, right. So when they're talking about how they're going to design it, they're not saying, oh, yeah, we're going to let people download it onto our drive and walk around with it. That's right, not right. even really part of the option. Right. And and part. like you said, you know, uh, the, the rhetoric that's being used or the things that are talked about in some of these reports that talk about consulting with stakeholders, promoting equity, fighting against climate change, like all of those basically necessitate some elements of control with the currency. It's hard to accomplish subjective goals with an objective and uncontrolled system of currency. So so like those are the reasons why we're like, oh, yeah, there's definitely going to be some of this stuff in it. The extent of which. I don't think that we know, uh, but you know, it's it's always best to kind of worry about worst case scenarios and then walk back from there. But uh, thanks to some genuine journalism by pranksters uh, on the internet, we got some insight into how digital currencies may be managed in at least the European Union. So some small online show was somehow able to connect with uh, Christine Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank, the interview started with uh, talking about, a, I think they were propose, uh, um, posing as Zelensky talking to her. This was like part of the prank or something. So they start talking to her about the role of monetary policy in the war with Ukraine and Russia. They ask about inflation and prices in Europe. It's hard to see what the prank is in this call, other than they had such an outsized access to such a high level person on the global stage for such like a small, you know, sh internet show. Um, so they use the opportunity to ask some real legitimate questions and questions that these people, uh, the Christine Lagarde's of the world, don't ever have to answer, especially off the cuff where they don't have hours or days to prepare for. So what you have here is an unusually candid interview with the head of the European Union Central Bank. So around the 14 minute mark um, of this video, the prankster asked Lagarde about the creation of the digital euro. Uh, now, in the European Union, much like the United States, the digital currency idea is still in the quote-unquote research phase of things. However, when she asked about it coming out, she seemed pretty definitive uh, that it was coming out, but that it'll, it's going to be decided officially in October. And then also, and this is kind of a side note, Justin, um, she mentions how it's necessary, in her opinion, uh, to create a digital currency to ensure that we don't get to a point where we're dependent on either an unfriendly nation's currency like <laughs> China or Russia or on, quote, a friendly currency 
but which is activated by a private corporate entity like Facebook or like Google. So I thought that was very interesting. She brought that up twice during this interview. So I thought that was very interesting. She says, uh, as I've said, I don't want Meta, Google, or Amazon to suddenly come up with a currency that will take over the sovereignty of Europe. She legitimately says that, which is which is pretty wild. <laughs> it, it, but, it's okay for them to control our elections, but not, not, not our finance <laughs> system. Yeah. That's where they draw the money at the central no. bank, Jim. No, that's, that's for them. They control the money, not yeah. Amazon. It, it, it's probably one of these uh, secretly under the table agreed to things where it's like, you have to be all in on the, the Great Reset and we'll protect you and ESG and all of that. Just don't touch the money. Leave that to us. But <laughs> That's a whole side point. But the clip I want to actually show you, Justin, is uh, where she talks about the because the, the pranksters, again, ask her about the control that would come with this type of uh, digital currency. So, Andy, if we have that clip ready, go ahead and play it. The, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control. You're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control, but that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Yep. So there you go. There you go, Justin. At baseline, she is admitting to limited controls. We don't want it completely unlimited because of terrorism or something like that. So there can't be any anonymity. We have to uh, we have to make sure there's at least some controls, even in minor transactions that you would uh, probably go into McDonald's. We have to make sure that's tracked. So, <laughs> Justin, yeah. thoughts on this? And then I want to get uh, Jim and, and Chris's reaction to everything that we said so far. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look um, there's there is a wealth of evidence that shows that this is going to happen at least that's the plan, that all of the big major financial institutions, um, not just central banks, but all of them are aware of this, both in Europe and in America, and that the, the whole re the, the one of the biggest selling points, as hard as it might be for regular people to believe this, is that they'll get to watch what everyone's doing, that that's a that's a bonus. Not small amounts, maybe. Notice how she said maybe. We're not even sure about that. Maybe, not the small amounts, but the large amounts, because then we can stop terrorism. We can stop oh, organized no, no. crime. No, even the small amounts because of because of terrorism. That's what she well, said. Well, she wasn't sure. She was she said, We're thinking about it. Oh, That's sure. what she said. Remember sure. the beginning? But I want to read before you move on to somebody else, I want to read because it and I was not because I didn't know you were gonna play this, but I was reading. Uh, a speech by who is this by? This is by the undersecretary for domestic finance, because yeah, that's right. That's what I do in my spare time. Uh, <laughs> Nellie Liang, maybe it's L I A N G. Uh, she gave a, a speech in March of this year called next steps to the future of money and payments. And in it, and I don't think I've had an opportunity to tell you about this, Donna yet in it. It says right here, the third set of objectives, she's talking about the creation of a new currency, uh, a, a CBDC. The third set of objectives relate to privacy, illicit finance, and financial inclusion. And then it says that a CBDC would need to have the ability to protect users and minimize the risk of illicit financial transactions. In addition, given that the United States has the largest unbanked population, blah, 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 this would help us with equity and financial inclusion 
and all of that stuff. So then, then she says this, across the three interests, global financial leadership, national security, and, pri and privacy, illicit finance and inclusion, which is one thing, I guess, CBDC design choices are likely to involve trade-offs. We're going to have to trade off with privacy and these other things. As an example, one way of reconciling privacy with illicit finance concerns in a retail CBDC might be to have a tiered structure in which less data are collected for small dollar transactions or small volume accounts. But limits on the amount or number of transactions could make a retail CBDC less useful to end users. This suggests a three-way trade-off among privacy, countering illicit finance goals, and inclusion. And the CBDC Working Group, which is a U.S. government working group related to all of this, will have to identify trade-offs and possible ways of reconciling these objectives, including looking ahead to possible technological advancements that could reduce the size of any of these trade-offs. So she's flat out saying almost the same thing. We have to balance all these things. And maybe, you know, we could have this sort of, we'll collect less data. She didn't say no data. She said, we'll collect less data for small dollar amounts or small dollar accounts. But with everybody else, we're going to have to keep yeah. a really close eye on what's going on there. Yeah. So I'm going to get Chris, Chris and Jim's uh, um, perspectives on this, but I do have one more article that relates to all of this. And before I even get to that, I will say that the, you know, you just mentioned that it seems like they're reading from the, the same, they're saying the same stuff. The next article that I have also seems like they're reading from the same playbook. And as we know from us and doing all that work on the great reset, when all of these very important people and influential people are all reading from the same playbook, you know something's up. Uh, but before I get to that, uh, I want to go to Chris first. I feel like I haven't heard your beautiful voice in a while. Chris, what are your thoughts on all of this, uh, all this stuff that we're talking about with this upcoming digital dollar? I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth on this. I, mean, I, I sometimes wonder if if uh, it's it's less likely than we're making it out to be that it's going to actually come into fruition. Um, I think that the American people, by and large, would just never allow this to happen. So I wonder if this is that is this, you know, these these you out mean of like being locked in their homes and forced to wear masks everywhere they go, Chris. <laughs> changing. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean just no, no. I mean, I mean, I, I, I just. I'm not saying that I don't think it's impossible that it that it that it could happen, but I just I I I do think that the spirit of American individualism and freedom I I just I can't see 330 million people just saying oh shucks I'll just right. give up all all my you know autonomy to this to this central bank digital currency. I, I I think that it would precipitate a a I'm not gonna massive. say anything. Yeah, no, no, no. Could, I'm, Let I'm, Jim I'm, talk. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I will go to Jim, but Chris, I'm glad that you have that uh, that uh, um, hesitation or whatever, um, because I'm going to address that a little bit later. But go ahead, Jim. You know, Chris, when I have to take you out for lunch today, I think I'm going to have to make you order from the children's menu because you are as naive as a oh, child. God with that take that's harsh that's harsh that's really harsh Chris yeah. could take it yeah, you know, wow. he's a big boy well he's not yeah you know, he's a big boy but he's still gonna order from the the kids menu look uh just go to town i'm gonna order the most expensive <laughs> thing yeah. get the flaming right. yeah they're going to morton's steakhouse yeah, yeah make, him, make, him, make him take you to morton's 
Well, I mean, look. This, so we're th we're going to be we're going to be accused of of peddling conspiracy theories here, as as often happens, and as I've said on this podcast many times, um, you know, we can't call them conspiracy theories anymore because they end up being spoiler alerts. Uh, I'm trying to think, Justin, of you know, some crazy liberty crushing idea from our ideological leftist global elites, either they're inside government or outside government. That hasn't eventually come true or almost come true or it'll come true. You know, we'll make it happen later. I mean, just going back to COVID, I mean, the idea, Chris, that, you know, the American people, 330 million of us won't put up with this. We're not going to be able to choose to do these sorts of things. These sorts of things will be imposed upon us by the people who are in the actual control of our monetary system globally, of our of our government here in the United States and in the, in the European Union. You know, the idea that we can opt in or out of these crazy leftist ideas that always crush our liberty and that always end up being expensive and don't work and lead to misery and death often. The, the idea that we, we can opt out of that stuff and live our lives the way we want, increase it is becoming decreasingly, uh, we are becoming decreasingly able to opt out of those sorts of things. And this is the last, this would be, I would think, the last, uh, the last hurdle they would have to leap in order to completely control the population. If you can't spend $300 without the government knowing where what you spent it on, and obviously with the intent to tell you whether you did it right or, or right or wrong, and to keep score, why, why do you think they're tracking of it? It's to keep score. And what kind of score? A social credit score. And so you will have to live your life always thinking about how do I stay in the good graces of the people who actually run the society? I am not allowed to make choices that I may feel are good for me or for my family. I have to be thinking about living my life in a way that doesn't irritate the people that can actually crush my life by, I don't know, deleting all of my money or saying you're not allowed to spend that on, 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 on this thing or that thing anymore because we don't want you to. And so the idea that we can opt out of this sort of thing where have we, where have we been able to do that in the past? Yeah, Just you even know, in the recent past, we have been able to do that. You know, while while Jim was talking, I was thinking about Chris's comments, and they seem very very familiar, Chris. Uh, and they seem familiar to a point when you were uh, uh, when you were reading the Great Reset for the first time and thinking, "Oh, this seems a little too conspiracy. I, I don't know if this is actually going to happen." And then, where do you find yourself now when it comes to ESG and everything? Exactly. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, wait. wait. Well, I, I, well, I want to. Well, I just. Can I? Can go I, ahead, can Chris, I go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean. Okay. Ha ha ha. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a big idiot for, for, you know, for having an alternative, uh, you know, point of view. Whatever. I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not a hive mind. I, I have my own mind. All right. I, so he admitted I, it. All right. Let's let me, move on. Let me say one thing. But no, no, seriously. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah. Of course. Um, just think about this. Think about the amount of data that would be that that would be necessary for them to comb through in order to micromanage all of our transactions. And I and I think this is very similar to what they did with the Patriot Act when the NSA said we're not going to just we're going to like you know vacuum up all the um, emails and phone calls and text messages that Americans do so that we can uh, filter out you know terroristic uh, signals. How did that work for them? That's been a complete and utter failure. So how in the world could they say, well, we're going to create this, this new system in which 
I, I don't understand. You guys are throwing me off my train of thought with all these weird. That's <laughs> right, right here. We got we got a perfect comment, perfect timing. AI. Well, no, will no, but what what, I, what I'm saying is actually, Christine, that is a very good. Uh, that's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Or, or okay. you could create create some crazy algorithm that could do it. I mean, yeah, I guess that's possible, but I still, in my heart of hearts. <laughs> have this 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 so it's uh, this this feeling that the american people my my brothers and sisters especially in the heartland you know in flyover yes. country where i live amen we folks. will take our pitchforks and we will go to the central bank and we will take your own pal <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. aoc would say this with. is an incitement of violence let's yeah. stop let's stop let's chris stop. chris now, now now you're not just getting from the kids menu but i'm gonna pick it out too because you're not <laughs> you're just gonna get chicken tenders and fries and a small soda well well look, look actually but 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 to, to Chris's point, actually, I mean, I, I do think that um, what, what Chris is saying is, is he's saying he he doesn't deny that this is going to be attempted. Am I right, Chris? You're, this is going to be attempted. You're saying you yeah. think that the public will push back enough that it isn't going to ultimately happen. Yes, Am I, I getting that right? OK, yeah. so yeah. so actually, I mean. I hope that he's right. I mean, that's I mean, otherwise we're Wait, all totally screwed. If Chris I, I'm going to, I'm going to address this. I'm going to address this, Justin. So let me just quickly go through this last. I don't, piece that I, I don't think that a lot of America, I don't think that the vast majority of Americans will just roll over and say, Oh, shucks. Uh, there yeah. goes my, there goes right. my bank account. Like I, I'm gonna I hope the federal government's nice to me and is my best buddy and, and allows me to do what I want to do. I do think that that would, uh, you know, I hope you're right. Such a Truly. fire among, among the American people. Because when, when you, okay, just th th think of it this way. So in the 2020 election, you know, we're, we're basically a split country, 50-50, maybe 48-52, you know, conservative versus liberal. Are you telling me that 48% of the people who voted or 50% whomever for, you know, Donald Trump are just going to say, okay, fine, you guys right, win. Right. I think that they will go down with a fight. And I, I, I would go down with the fight. I mean, okay. And I so, hope all so, three of you would too. Yeah, I absolutely. And this is actually kind of getting beside the point, because yeah. the point of what we're doing right now uh, isn't necessarily predicting anything. It's warning people. So the only way that they will put up a fight is if they are properly warned. So uh, let, let's just put this on the, on the side. Right. For so one so second. that was my so that was my point. I, th I think actually what Chris is saying is not I, I think he's 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 right. I mean, I, I don't I think we should just shut down the Heartland Institute, go home if we know that Chris is wrong. Because what's the point, right? <laughs> like yeah. you know, so I mean, I kind of, I, I, so I get that. Your I, I think that, that was on an everyday yeah. basis are proving my point. Thank Let's you not much. get carried away. Let's not get carried okay. away. Okay, all right, all right. I want to address this one thing, Justin. We're going long. I'm sorry, <laughs> but there's a New York Times article by Paul Krugman, who is one of just the worst economists that's ever graced the pages of a newspaper. <laughs> uh, but they keep giving him opinion pages, whatever. So he he wrote a piece and he is a type of guy that just carries water for the establishment. That is Paul Krugman's yeah. bio basically on his Twitter account. I carry water <laughs> for the establishment. Anyways, uh, he wrote an article trying to basically uh, take a shot at uh, Ron DeSantis for Ron DeSantis saying critical things about a, a potential CBDC. So in the article, he says uh, that the people that are against, and I'm summarizing this, I'm not reading word for word here. Uh, people against CBDCs in the U.S. are those that don't that don't want it to be harder to commit tax fraud and launder money. Now I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that is essentially what he says. 
that uh, the people that are whispering in Ron DeSantis's ear and filling him with all this information are people that don't want it to be harder to commit tax fraud or launder money. He literally says something almost exactly like that. He admits that it's conceivable that the Federal Reserve might issue such a currency in the future. And then he goes on to gaslight us that a digital currency is just like having a bank account with a debit card. And there's essentially no difference than uh, uh, for today uh, uh, for the average American if we have a system like this. He then suggests that most of the physical money out there, uh, you know, the actual physical money out there is only out there for people to commit tax evasion, illegal purchases of drugs and weapons, extortion, and so on. He literally says this in his article. So, like, if you want to know what the rhetoric is of the people pushing this agenda, read Paul Krugman. Yeah. Uh, he describes how great and simple it would be for people to just open up an account with the Federal Reserve. So this is one of the, the ways that Justin was talking about, how you would just have, like, the direct issuer of currency be your bank. But he says in order to stave off potentially fierce pushback from the banking industry, these accounts will instead be handled by private sector intermediaries. You know, all of the banks that support ESG. So it kind of explains why all those banks are on board, I feel like, you know, doesn't those it? Those banks doesn't it also all... make up the Fed, by the way. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the, remainder, the remainder of the article makes a case against cryptocurrency in general and how it would only be used by criminals after a central bank digital currency comes out. So the rhetoric is all there and it's all very in line with Christine Lagarde. Mm -hmm. She's had quotes in the past that we've talked about, about how uh, uh, her disdain for cryptocurrencies and how it's not real currency and all of that stuff. So he's just parroting that same type of stuff. But to me, this article just kind of shows what the rhetoric is to, to initiate a, a program like this, uh, that it's to try to push back against people that want to use actual physical money for bad reasons. And there's no other reason why you would want uh, you know, your standard money system the way it is and that it's all just, uh, you know, there's no difference here. It's just the same thing. So that that's kind of what I think uh, the strategy is going to be, uh, Chris. This isn't going to be like, hey, everyone brace for impact. We're going to have a whole I new agree. currency. They're going to try no, to pretend that this is no different, that, you know, uh, you're just going to have a debit card instead of actually and having cash I, I, on hand. But otherwise, everything's the same. I agree. And I, I remember when we were talking about the SVB collapse, like, like a couple months ago, that I, I, I kind of, you know, made this point, too, where I was saying, hey, you know, it, it's interesting that the big banks are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And those smaller regional banks are being, you know, like obliterated. And I, I, I think that one of their goals is to have, you know, the federal government with like five big banks working hand in hand because it's a lot easier for them to work together to imp to implement this. However, I still have faith in my, you know, fellow countrymen that there will be a massive backlash to it. I don't know if it's going to. So here's another not, option. But here's another option. Uh, and this is going to tie into our secondary topic that uh, we're, we're going to probably go through at a pretty rapid pace here. But uh, so what could necessitate a creation of a new currency in the United States? So unless the strategy is to convince people that this isn't a new currency and that it's just virtually the same as, you know, the way that you've been operating with the dollar your entire life. Um, that and, and I agree with you, Chris. I don't think the majority of people will just voluntarily accept such a big change. But my first thought was, and I mentioned this to Justin a few days ago, was the idea of not letting a good crisis go to waste. And, uh, you know, as people that are watching the show know, surely there's no sh we're no short on potential crises. Well, there is a debt crisis and looming recession, potential bond market bubble. 
But the thing that's gotten a little bit more attention, um, more so recently than usual, is the idea of the U.S. dollar losing its status as the world reserve currency. So I'm sure that uh, most listeners are familiar with this concept. It's the idea that the majority of the countries around the world use the U.S. dollar when conducting international trade. It's easier to trade in a uniform currency so that there is uh, there's no situations where Portugal is offered Japanese yen and they don't want that currency because it's harder to trade with some other. So everyone just uses the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar has been the reserve currency since the end of World War II. The status was really cemented in place in the early 70s when OPEC agreed to price all of their oil experts exclusively in the U.S. dollar. This is where the term petrodollar comes from, actually. Um, But uh, the world reserve currency, uh, so it comes with some benefits, right? So there's increased demand for the dollar. Countries need it to transact, so it stabilizes the, the price of the dollar. Lower borrowing costs for American or people using the U.S. dollar, greater influence on the global stage, and arguably this status allows the United States to export inflation. So Mm -hmm. people talk about how inflation is a hidden tax. Well, if the tax is on everyone that's holding a U.S. dollar, then that even works on foreign countries. It allows us to export debt. Uh, Sure. Sure. Right. Exactly. Uh, So there have been uh, a few stories recently that have suggested that the dollar's dominance as the world reserve currency might be slipping a little bit. So China announced recently a deal with Brazil to use their own currencies while conducting bilateral trade. China is also in talks with Saudi Arabia and other oil countries to use its currency as opposed to the dollar. The U.S. dollar made up 70% of world reserves in the year 2000. That's been trending downward ever since. Currently, according to this one article that I was reading, at 58%. But according to a Markets Insider piece, last year the pace of erosion of the dollar was 10 times faster than previous years. That article suggests that the global share is below 50%. So uh, I would assume that uh, you know if the dollar were to lose its world reserve status, that there might be some repercussions. Justin and I have been warning about this uh, when we would would talk about modern monetary theory. The idea that if you keep printing money, there's a possibility that foreign countries might get sick of paying your inflation tax and instead use a different currency, maybe their own, maybe a basket of currencies like that SDR system. And uh, you know what happens then? Those dollars held by countries can only be used in one place, the United States. So you'd see a flood of dollars rushing back into the United States that are ushering in inflation levels that would make what we're experiencing today look like a joke. In fact, it might be so bad it could necessitate a creation of a new currency, perhaps a digital one with a host of uh, or the host country has a whole bunch of different controls and levers over said currency. So, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll give you first word on this. Anything that I said? No, I agree with everything you just said, and I also think uh, that the United States' uh, foreign policy in relation to the uh, beginning of the, you know, Russian invasion in Ukraine, in which we just basically, like, you know, um, put sanctions on uh, Russian oligarchs and and literally just took money from the Russian central bank it, dollars and uh, you know took them and brought them back into the United States. I think that that was a, uh, a shot across the bow to the rest of the, of the world where it's like, whoa, if you get on the bad side of the United States, they are capable because they are the world reserve currency of just doing whatever they want. So I think that this is also a defensive posture 
for uh, you know the so-called BRICS countries: uh, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, um, China. China, and South, uh, uh, South Africa. Africa. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, "Hey, wait a second, we don't want to be." In, in the position where if the United States says, hey, we don't like what you're doing here or we don't like what you're doing there, well, we are going to use King Dollar to just, you know, strong arm your economy into doing what we want you to do. So I think some of this is our own um, uh, policies that are coming back to bite us. But oh, I sure. also and I also absolutely agree with you that a lot of uh, these countries are sick and tired of uh, buying U.S. Treasury bonds. And, uh, you know, paying our inflation tax for us. And, right. and like I said earlier, uh, in the past few decades, especially with the rise of China and China coming into the World Trade Organization and all this stuff, what we've done is we have exported debt and we've exported debt dollars and we've imported products and services. That is not a sustainable trajectory for an economy to be on. And I think that this is maybe a wake up call. I hope it's a wake up call for the next administration to try to get our fiscal house back in order. And I'm a little, I'm a little bit uh, optimistic because uh, Kevin McCarthy apparently reached a deal with at least the house Republicans that they're going to curb spending and put some other controls. I know you guys are laughing at me. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Jim. Uh, so he's got fine, the kids, fine. the kids here's, menu. <laughs> here's my new, here, here's, here's my new take on everything. Everything sucks. The United States is going to hell and there's no, there's no point in even trying to solve No, I, I'm just, I'm just, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it might be a sad outlook but you're a little bit more accurate uh jim uh uh it seems like there there could be two potentials uh, of a lead up to a digital currency or proposal for a, a true digital currency like i said a gradual a gradual thing where it's like oh this is no different you know don't look behind the curtain or anything like that or we're in crisis mode we have to do something you're just gonna have to deal with it uh so thoughts on Thoughts on that, kind of those two options, or just anything that I mentioned about the idea of the dollar losing its status? Well, I was just going to ask uh, both you and Justin, uh, if you were trying to accelerate our transition to a global digital currency, what are some of the things that you would think would be important to do like over the last couple of years or so? I don't know. Maybe just printing up so many dollars that the that its value uh, globally is value domestically it diminishes. And now we see that other countries are deciding to abandon the dollar. So if you wanted to move toward a global digital currency, these are some of the things that you would do to make sure we get there even faster. I mean, I think, you know, I always thought, you know, with the development of the EU, I mean, you know, human beings don't live for hundreds of years. But, you know, I always figured, you know, maybe one day uh, the Earth would be kind of like the Star Trek universe in the future where it's just the planet and that there, there's a global currency and that countries don't really matter. Um, all that really matters is is commerce and, you know, that you're all human beings. And so I think eventually, probably it would seem logical that maybe around the world there would be a global digital currency, but we shouldn't be there like soon. <laughs> and and what it takes to get there is not getting there through through moves of strength, but getting there through moves of destruction and weakness. And so you destroy the American economy so that it is no longer the colossus that can actually, you know, dictate through commerce the best way to organize societies. Instead, you destroy you destroy currencies so that everything can be centralized with a, with a centralized global power and controlling the money is the most important thing to controlling people. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, I will end on a little bit of a, a, a bright note. Okay, so just uh, <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom for me. Do I get the art but, big boy menu? Is that but, right now? <laughs> but Justin, I'll give you kind of final words before I, I wrap up the show. 
So I, I think that the the um, the end of the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency is inevitable. Like that that is already happening. The transition away from the dollar is already occurring. You're seeing um, what 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 you are seeing is you're seeing an alliance between China and Russia and other nations forming. They're going to have a some kind of currency or maybe a couple of currencies that they primarily use. And then the West will have one or maybe more currencies that they're going to use. And that that's how it's going to, that's how it's going to look. The world is actually dividing again along East and West uh, lanes. Right. And, and what the West, what the leaders in the West want is a great, a great reset sort of no borders within the West world. Okay. They want all the West to be the same and they want to drag the East kicking and screaming along with it. And the East, Russia, China, parts of the Middle East, et cetera, are saying, no way. We don't want anything to do with that. We're going to have our own way of doing things. And what the West, what the leaders in the West always do is they use the sort of advantages, uh, so to speak, of the efficiencies of, of uh, tyranny and authoritarianism in the East as a justification for why we need something not quite as authoritarian or tyrannical in the West, but we need something like it. And, and that's exactly what's going to happen here with this. You're seeing the the uh, central bank digital currency idea has already caught on in the East. It's been around for a while. They're starting to develop it more and more and more. And as China and Russia and others become increasingly more powerful, not not because of their currency, but because of other things, like they're willing to use the most affordable form of energy, for example. And they Crazy. have they're more responsible when it comes to spending and they buy more hard assets and real mines and gold and silver and 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 you know lithium and all these things that you need to 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 make things. They actually make things over there. Like that's the reason why they're becoming more powerful and wealthier. But what the West is going to say is actually the real reason is because they can they can control the economy much easier because they've got all these little dials that they can turn and they can tweak things just right. And and we're not saying we want to be just like them, but we want to do something like that. So we we have to to compete with them. And that's exactly what this is. It's going to be sold as our dollar is dying because it's this archaic, old, terrible, you know, paper thing. It's mm-hmm. stupid and awful. And what we need is all the advantages that they have. And if we could just have something like that, we'll be able to catch up with them. When in reality, it has nothing to do with any of that. It's about something completely different. But that's how it's going to be sold. And a crisis is always the moment when they're going to do this. Um, they're waiting for that moment where the, where people are desperate enough that they will do anything, which is exactly and what we learned with COVID. The big lesson for the elites in COVID was if they can make the crisis big enough and believable and big enough, people will literally do anything. A, a, a segment of society will literally do anything you want. They will rat out their neighbors as if we're living in 1930s Germany. Like they will do anything to, to as long as the crisis is big enough and believable. And so... I think that that is the direction that all of this is headed. And so the question is going to be, are we going to go in that direction? Are we going to allow our leaders to move us in that direction? Or are we going to push back against that? And unfortunately, um, it's going to require a change in who's running things in Washington for this train to be derailed. Otherwise, 
this is going to happen because that that is unquestionably, undeniably the plan that the Biden administration and others are putting into place here in the U.S. That's the goal. The goal is control. And unless we stop it, like that's what's going to happen. There is just is no denying that. They're not going to change their minds. Yeah. So so just uh, one one final thing that I'll, uh, I'll leave off, like I promised, a little bit of a, a um, maybe not necessarily a bright spot, but a room for some optimism. OK, so I'm you're, no economist. You're my language. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'd be willing to bet that this sort of change would not happen that quickly. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that uh, it's a relatively slow changing of the guard as opposed to a rapid one. And there's good reason to to doubt that the Chinese yuan would be the out and out replacement of the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. Uh, for starters, the Chinese government leverages a lot of control over their yuan. Uh, they even restrict it in many cases from even being able to leave the country. So consumers, whether it be you know people or investors or other countries that want to hold reserve currency, they probably don't have a natural appetite for a currency that could be controlled and restricted by a communist government so much. So I, I don't see like a, a a rapid changing of you know the U.S. dollar dropping and the and and China's yuan going up like at like a forty five degree angle or something like that. It would probably be a much slower process, and it would be more likely. Uh, you know, the, listening to Justin talking that a development of a, like a parallel economy where you've got the, you know, the East and the West kind of make a line down the center and we've got the, the, the West on one side and the East on the other side. And then the last thing, and this is kind of highlighted by those comments that I played of uh, Christine Lagarde, that um, Europe is kind of the canary in the coal mine when it comes to this. They seem to be a little bit more advanced in all of their stuff when it comes to the ESG or a digital currency. So they might jump off that cliff before we do. And we're going to be there to see what that splatter looks like when they fall off that cliff and report back to you uh, as uh, intellectual ammunition for you to be uh, better equipped to push back against a scheme like this here in America. But... Gentlemen, uh, that's what I wanted to end with. If anyone's got anything that they want to get off their chest, any final words, now's your opportunity. I'm looking forward to this kid meal. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, you'll have to report back on it uh, next week. But very, I want to thank everyone for <laughs> tuning in to this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. For those audio-only listeners that are catching this show on a Friday or later, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we are broadcasting live on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Rumble, where you can join us. Throw your comments and questions in the stream. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, if you're listening to us uh leave a review for us on itunes that'd be greatly appreciated you can also help out the show by doing a couple of things that won't cost you a penny only it'll cost you a couple of seconds which is hitting that like button subscribing if you haven't already sharing this content or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through the big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people if you'd like you could follow us on twitter at in the tank pod or you can send us your comments and suggestions for the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com um, Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin, same question. Uh, they can find me at, uh, at Justin T. Haskins on Twitter, Facebook, not Parlor, because apparently <laughs> that's gone now. <laughs> But uh, Getter 
and uh, stoppingsocialism.com and heartland.org. Fantastic. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Stoppingsocialism.com, heartland.org. We have a great new ESG paper. Please go to heartland.org and just check it out. Even if it's just the summary, really well done. It explains ESG in a very, uh, you know, all-encompassing manner. Yeah, hopefully there's a development uh, with ESG in Florida by this time next week. And if so, we will probably dedicate the majority of the episode to the topic of ESG. And surely we'll talk about that paper that uh, Chris is mentioning. But thank you all for tuning into this episode. We will talk to you next week.